Hey, one, two, one, two, ladies and gentlemen, mic check, mic check. Welcome back to another episode of Beat School. I am your host, Kia Orion. I'm the man who is obsessed with making dope music and teaching you how to make your own. Thank you so much for tuning in. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. This is another episode of Beat School. This is a Q&A with Kia episode. If you don't know Beat School, welcome uh, to all the first-time listeners, to all the return listeners. Thank you for coming back. This is the podcast where we break down everything music production in terms of the actual techniques and tactics that go into producing music and then the mentality. And we tackle things like inspiration, motivation, um, and also some marketing and sales as well. So this is part music production, part motivation, part business. Um, and in today's episode, uh, we're going to be jumping into another Q&A. So this means these are questions that people have submitted either over social media, slid in the DM, um, over email, or also part of our exclusive uh, membership community. If you want to join, you can find more out about that at beatschoolonline.com. That being said, um, this podcast doesn't have any sponsors yet, but we are sponsored by um, The Producer Vault. That is theproducervault.com. And that is uh, where I stash all of my goodies for producers to go and check out. Those are sample packs, drum kits, guides, and also free courses to help producers level up. So if you are a producer and want to step up your game, check out theproducervault.com. But that is enough about that. Let's jump into the meat and potatoes of today's podcast, which is the Q&A. So this first question comes from the Grandmaster 21. They say, how do you get loud songs? They said, uh, I've started rapping and I've had a DAW and been a producer for a while. I've been messing around a little bit and I feel like I have clear vocals and the instrumental sound good. But my main question is, how do I make loud mixes without distortion? All right, Grandmaster, I'm going to drop a little gem on you here. This is really going to come down to gain staging. And what this is, is this is pretty much when you come into your project, oftentimes the levels are all gonna be set to zero. And what you're gonna to wanna to do is bring all those levels down to maybe negative five, negative 10. Because when you actually end up mixing your track, when the whole mix is finished, you want to have that finished mix coming in around negative four, negative five dB. Because if you mix too hot, Meaning if the final mix comes in around zero, then by the time you master it, and a lot of time what mastering is, you're kind of bringing a lot of the levels up, you're adding um, some layers of compression, some EQ, um, your whole track is going to distort. And this is where a lot of newbies make mistakes, um, is they end, up, they end up mixing the track too hot. So what I would recommend to you is make sure that when your whole mix is finished, that means the loudest part of your track, it doesn't have to be exactly four, but it's going to be like negative 3.75, negative 4, negative 4.5, negative 5, somewhere in there. Because then when you export the track for mastering, or if you're making the, the, the song yourself, if you're mastering the song yourself, you have at least negative 4 to 5 dBs of headroom to then boost up that volume. So then once you go to mastering, you can really kind of crank that compressor, crank that limiter, whatever it is, crank that soldier boy up in it. Oh, just kidding. But then you can really crank that and you won't end up distorting your mix because you'll have that headroom to work with. It's like, imagine you fill up your cup 
And then you want to, if you keep trying to add more, it's just going to overflow. It doesn't have any room. There's nowhere for it to go. But if you fill your cup almost the way up, but you leave some of that space in the cup, then when you add your special sauce, which is the master ring, you have some of that headroom. You have some room left to really boost your track up. So that is how you get loud songs is with a limiter, with good mastering, really kind of having that headroom to crank the mix up. Another way you can check this is listen to your favorite songs on Spotify and use those as a reference track to hear how that compares to your song. So that's something important too with mixing, but also with mastering as well. Okay, on to the next uh, on to the next one. Thoughts on mixing with headphones. So a lot of times I get questions about mixing and mastering. So this episode, I guess, is going to have a little bit more of a mixing, mastering, engineering angle. But uh, this one is by Sleep Powder. He says, I've had so many people tell me never to mix with headphones and always use monitors. However, I find myself much more able to critically listen to my mixes with headphones instead. Plus, doesn't almost everyone listen to music with headphones on nowadays? What's everyone's thoughts on mixing with headphones? So Sleep, sleep Powder, uh, you're absolutely right. I would recommend, actually, when you're mixing your track... Um, in mastering your track that you listen on different devices. This is actually a really big key because the way that it sounds on your studio monitors is going to sound completely different in nice headphones. It's going to sound different in your terrible, shitty Apple headphones, and it's going to sound different in your car. And so when you think about it, you, you actually hit the nail on the head with this when you said, doesn't everyone listen in headphones nowadays? Because if you're listening on crappy Apple headphones, that's probably where a lot of people are going to be listening to your tracks. And a club banger, right? If you want to, if you want to track to bang in the club, that's going to be something that you would probably going to want to listen to maybe in your car speakers or in a sound system that actually has some bass, some, some of that subwoofer, something that really kind of bangs. Because if you listen on just studio monitors, you've got to realize that like how many people are going to be listening to your track on studio monitors. So it might sound perfect on studio monitors, but then as soon as you bump it out of like a crappy little JBL, like Bluetooth speaker or something like you all the the mix is gonna shine completely differently. Maybe the snares are too high, maybe the bass is too loud. Like this is something I think is interesting. If you mix in just Dr. Dre headphones, Dr. Dre, those those Beats by Dre headphones, those will almost always have like an emphasis on the bass. They almost have like an extra bass built into those headphones. So if you mix on those, your bass is always gonna sound dope. And so if you then switch and you make beats on the the Beats by Dre and then you take it to your car and it doesn't hit the same you're going to be like, wait, what happened? It's because you need to, you have to almost pick something that you're mixing for. Meaning, am I mixing this for headphones? Am I mixing this for the car? Am I mixing this for the club? Because you talk to any good engineer and it's almost impossible to nail all of them. It's almost impossible to nail sound to go down laptop speakers and on headphones and in the car. Um, so really set your objective with where you specifically want to mix for and then mix great for that one. And if you can, then take the mix to other places and it'll kind of help you start to get a feel for how things level out. Um, I would highly recommend mixing on some nice headphones and then also mixing on hear how it sounds in your crappy Apple headphones because you're right. Most people, that's where they're going to be listening to it. So something to think about. Switch up where you're listening to your mix. All right. Uh, this one is by Zero Tone. Should I pick? Should I be picky with my features or verses? A fellow friend of mine hit me up last week to open to hop on his song because he had an open verse. The song is not that much of a vibe in my opinion. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, but I thought, why not hop on? It's early in my career. I don't have anything popping at the moment. So I didn't think it was that much. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Looking back, I think I should have said no. The lack of vibe is making the verse writing for me uninspiring. Um, how should I turn it down? 
Okay, this is an interesting one. So zero tone. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think in terms of like your brand, it's going to hurt you. I kind of come from the Gary Vaynerchuk uh, perspective that like more is better. Um, I think for you, it really comes down to like how inspired you feel for the track. Like, or do you need it for money? Like a lot of these times, um, I think rappers will start charging for verses because they don't have a lot of money. And so they kind of need those financial gains. But I also think this depends on something if you want exposure. Like I was thinking about the Kendrick Lamar and Taylor Swift collab where like Kendrick Lamar probably, probably wasn't his like first choice to like collab with Taylor Swift. But as far as just like a business opportunity, that's a great idea because you get access to her audience, probably vice versa for her. Maybe she loves hip hop. I don't know much about Taylor Swift, but I'd imagine. And you know, like when you think about Taylor Swift collabing with Kendrick, that is a huge look for her because it gives her like all of this cool credibility because Kendrick and the culture is just like this cool dude. So I think if you look at someone like Drake as well, his features on verses is a great way for him to stay relevant without him needing to constantly be in your face releasing his own music. Like Drake never really goes away. He might drop an album once a year, every two years. But it's not, but he's still always there kind of on your playlist because he's constantly doing features for people. So I don't think it's huge in terms of being picky in terms of your branding. I think for you, it comes down to inspiration and the play. If it's not something super inspiring like the Kendrick and Taylor Swift thing, um, maybe it's just a good move for the business. Maybe it's just a good move for your branding. Maybe it's a good move um, because it's an artist you really believe in, but they might be a country singer or they might be into EDM. And so like having those kind of cross genre collabs, I also think are really interesting. Um, some people think it like hurts their street cred or whatever it is. I say, go for it. Um, if you aren't feeling it, think about the relationship that you need with this person. If they're a homie, Maybe you just suck it up, write the verse, and it's a crappy verse, but they're your homie. So you said, let me keep this relationship. If it's not someone you really dig, you don't need the money, you don't need the brand, you don't need the biz, might be worth it learning how to say no and listening to some Tim Ferriss um, to get some ideas on what and really coming up with kind of a structure on what you say yes and what you say no to. So that's my take for you. Okay, this one's from Educational Victory. Any advice for a producer with social anxiety? Or being uncomfortable with the studio, being uncomfortable in the studio with artists. Um, in short, I struggle to be in my head, and struggle. I always seem to be in my head, think about everything I do or say, and it has. I have a hard time when I'm in public places. I have a good social connection with people after getting to know them, and I know I'm a good person deep down. But it's hard for me to meet an artist or another producer because all this weighs me down. I can't totally be myself or connect with them properly. All right, so educational victory. This is an interesting one because honestly, when I'm when I'm in uh, when I'm making beats with an artist on the spot, honestly, I get a little bit nervous too because you want to make something dope and you want them to like it, but you got to really, I think, um, do some work on your social skills, and a lot of this will come to practice. So I'd say just throw yourself into as many of these situations as possible to get down. It's honestly like dating, man. Like the first time you go on a date with a girl on like off of a like Tinder or some online dating profile, it feels weird. Like I'm meeting this girl, like from it, we maybe maybe have some chemistry. We text a little bit. I don't really know where you meet, and it's awkward or maybe not. But if you start, when I used to live in New York, I would just go on tons of dates because that's just part of the culture. 
And it's like anything else, man. It's a skill. You get good at it. Um, you start to feel more natural. You start to understand the vibes. You start to kind of pick up the signals. You start to figure out yourself a little bit more. I'd say this is a practice thing, that the more you do it, the better you'll get, the more comfortable you feel. It's always, especially if you're collabing with a dope artist, you really want to make something really cool with them. So there's always a little bit of pressure, but the more that you can kind of loosen up and be yourself, I think always goes a lot farther um, because they'll start to they'll start to pick up on those vibes and think about from their perspective, they're coming in, they're probably feeling a little bit anxious too. A lot of times artists, we tend to be introverted. We tend to be a little bit socially awkward just as people. We're emotional, we're sensitive. That's what makes us artists. We overthink stuff, we're analyzers. So don't think you're the only one. A lot of rappers, music producers are weird. Engineers are weird people. So you are definitely not alone, but this is something that I think will get better with practice. And um, it's something that, if I were you, I would just try to put yourself in as many of those up, get as many of those opportunities as you can, and you'll start to learn that so much of this lives in your own head. So much of this insecurity is in your own head because people are so self-absorbed, they're often thinking about themselves. So if you make good music and you're easy to work with, actually, it's probably more even if you're easier to work with, people will want to come back and work with you a lot more often than if you just were like kind of a dick but make really good music. So there are those two, but more often than not, just focus less on trying to make like a number one hit for the person and think about how can you make them comfortable? How can you um, really be easy to work with? Watch the um, the videos of Kenny Beats in the, I think it's like in the dungeon with Kenny Beats or whatever, where he'll take an artist and work with them one-on-one. You can learn a ton from him and it's really interesting seeing how he interacts with artists. Take some, take some tips from Kenny Beats. Shout out Kenny Beats one time. All right. Uh, this one's from... Uh, Dragos, picking good sounds. What is your process for sound selection? Do you always apply a lot of effects or do you sometimes let the instrument live by itself? Great question, Dragos. Um, excuse me. Picking good sounds is half the battle for music production because especially if you're producing for an artist, music production really comes down to keeping it simple because you've got to just create the canvas and then let the um, let the artist like paint on it. So if you try to create the most crazy elaborate canvas, it might not leave a lot of room for the artist. So what I recommend is simplicity is always key with music production, at least for me, when creating for an artist specifically. And then this will come down to good sounds. A good sound will make the track. Recently, at the time of this recording, think about Roddy Rich's The Box track. As soon as that track comes on and you hear Roddy Rich, he's like, er, er. Er, er. it's like this weird sound effect, but it makes the track. That track, if you watch the Genius Breakdown, it's like some strings. Um, it's maybe like one synth, but that like little er, 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 sound like totally makes the track and it's weird, but it's catchy and it grabs you. And so picking good sounds is something that takes practice. This is again, something that's just a muscle. You learn how to do it over by doing it over and over. And you don't, you don't always have to apply a ton of effects to something to make it sound good. Sometimes a track, you can just let it live on its own. Um, for me, I w- this isn't a hard and fast rule. I would just say apply effects if you think it needs it to achieve your vision. But if it doesn't feel like it need it, if it doesn't feel like it needs it, don't feel like you need to apply effects just for the hell of it. A lot of times, um, sounds if you let them breathe, that is the key: is really picking sounds, letting them breathe, allowing space for the artist to do their thing. So that's my take on picking good sounds. It's a practice thing. Just produce enough, listen to a lot of music, you'll start to get a feel for what you like and kind of what what kind of uh, instruments that you gravitate towards and, and your kind of style. But it's not something you just choose out of thin air. It's something you have to develop by doing um, and by creating a lot. Okay, on to the next one. Let's see, let's see, let's see. We got 
Okay. We got equipment question by Bars. Question on setting up a station for a new producer. I'm always a fan of MPC due to the large pads, but not sure if it has the test technology out there these days where it's compatible with Ableton. Can I hook up an Akai MPC with Ableton? Do I need their specific DAW? Is it good to pair the two? What about a push? Uh, do I need anything else to start off with a MIDI keyboard? Thanks for the help. Okay, bars. This is an interesting one because people often ask me when they're first getting started, what type of equipment do they need? What type of um, gear do they need? And I actually have a guide for gear, my recommended gear at theproducervault.com. Check out the producer vault and I'll have a guide to gear. I have a guide to software. I also have a guide to online resources that I recommend, but I'll break it down for you in short. There is gear that I recommend. Um, there are some pieces of gear. There are some headphones I recommend, a MIDI keyboard I recommend, um, uh, and um, what's it called? An interface if you need it, but I'm going to make it very clear. I want to make this um, as direct as possible. You don't need any of it. I'm going to say that again. You don't need any of it. I currently am producing with zero. Zero gear. I produce straight off the laptop. If you watch Russ making the beat for what you want, uh, the his platinum single makes it straight off the keyboard keys from his laptop. Russ doesn't even rock off his production with a MIDI keyboard or anything. He does the same as me, just rocks off the keyboard keys. Straight QWERTY home row, baby. Let's get it. Um, and when it comes to hardware, I think we often use that as a crush. I know when I was first starting out, I thought I needed all this fancy stuff. I got all this fancy stuff. I don't use any of it now. I like being portable. I also don't like... I like not having to be reliant on it. I like being able to pop up anywhere with my laptop, be able to just rock and roll instead of being like, oh man, I really need my push or I really need my MIDI keyboard. Just being able to like, it's super portable, it's lightweight. Um, I can just hop up anybody's studio, anybody that has an aux, rock out. We just kick it right there and I can make stuff. That's another reason why I also recommend not getting too crazy with your VSTs. Um, yes, get some VSTs, learn how to use the waves because those are in like every studio, but really learn how to use your stock plugins because those stock plugins, one, they take up less CPU processing power, which is dope, but two, those are something that everyone is going to have. So one, you have a common language when you speak to other people from that DAW because hopefully they know their, um, uh, their stock plugins as well, but uh, it's also something then you know is going to be, if you pull up a studio, if they have Ableton, if they have FL Studio, if they have Logic, they're going to have those stock plugins. So that way you don't have to like rely on like, oh man, I only use retro color by XLN audio or something. And now I don't have it. It's like, you know how to use a saturator and some chorus to achieve those kind of same kind of sounds. So for me, when it comes to equipment, I think people often use this as an excuse to not get started. Um, or that they're an excuse for the quality of their music. They say, oh, it's not good enough. I don't have whatever these big producers have. Watch some genius breakdowns and how they break down um, a lot of producers. Uh, they'll remake the beat for you that you'll hear on these like hit smash songs. And sometimes they're made off of like terrible Bluetooth speakers, a laptop speakers, you know, no hardware equipment. But so that's number one. But if you are going to get equipment, I would recommend investing. Akai is a great brand. Um, if you can afford a push, I've heard it's dope. I don't personally really like working with hardware like that. I do think having a MIDI keyboard, though, can go a long way. Just so you can play larger chords, possibly learn how to rock out on some keys. And if you like to get physical with your music, pause. Um, you can then kind of incorporate a more physical element to your music as well. If you happen to know instruments and like to play live instruments as well, that can be a fun way to incorporate those if you have a mic and an interface because then you can directly record your music into your production, which is a really cool aspect, I think. I don't 
really play the instruments. I used to play saxophone, um, but I sold it when I was living in West Philly. It was my graduation present, and I sold it just to pay my rent. So there's a little fun key effect for you. Um, and now we're making making this uh, music money, baby. Let's get it. Life changes fast. That's that's the moral of the story. All right, y'all. I'm going to keep it at that. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, this is another episode of Beat School. Any of these resources that I mentioned, if you want the guides, drum kits, theproducervault.com, check it out. All my goodies live there for you. If you want to really step your game up, uh, you can join my exclusive community. Um, that It's a coaching community for producers where I in, I give you feedback on your beats. Um, we have q and I have coaches in there helping people out. We just exchange ideas. It's a producer group to help everybody level up. And uh, you can check that out at beatschoolonline.com. All right, y'all, thank you again for tuning in. It means more than you know. Coming to you live and direct next week. Uh, stay up. If you have any questions, fire them my way, Kia at KiaOrion.com or at KiaOrion everywhere on social. Appreciate y'all. Check you in a minute. Peace.